0: And now, coming to you live from the Gretchen Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Stroud Gary K. Wolf on the Coot Street Podcast. And uh, we,
1: should, we should probably mention that the Coot Street Motel 6 in Western Australia is one of the few motels left in the world that probably actually takes customers. <laughs> well, actually, sadly,
0: even here, the hotel is suffering. They,
1: oh, they are not widely open. Well, I, the problem is is if you have a relatively safe space like you're in, you don't allow anybody else to come into it with you. It's
0: becoming a real issue. Yeah, it's becoming an issue with some people who want to, they certainly want everything opened up or in, within the country by Christmas so hmm. families can visit each other and all yeah. that, which is understandable. Um, but there's also a strong feeling here of, you know, we are w- walled in and there's a hazard with that because one day you have to open up and see what happens. And if there's not an actual um if there's not an actual vaccine then how do you open up safely that's a a real question but same time you sit there going we're safe and we're not getting
1: a lot of cases and we don't want a lot of cases so Mm -hmm. one of the things that's um, one of the science fictional elements of the whole uh, lockdown situation which i haven't seen people talking about and i haven't seen many people writing fiction about yet was the idea of sealing yourself off from the rest of the world. I mean, you look at uh, New Zealand especially, you, you look at yourself, you look at, I think, one of the Hawaiian islands is maybe relatively free. And it used to be a common theme. There was going back as far as, let me think, Edgar Rice Burroughs. I can, I can mention an Edgar Rice Burroughs story, which I'm willing to bet almost nobody else has read, called Beyond 30. And Beyond 30 means the 30th thirtieth parallel, 30 degrees launched, I don't know. Uh, anyway, the United States has sealed itself off from the rest of the world for centuries, and an the expedition is going in to find out what happened there. There's a little bit of this in Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation uh, series. There have been other novels of uh, mysteriously sealed-off areas. Maybe that's more of a horror plot than a science <laughs> fiction plot. Maybe well, that's what about Foundation? Um, well, yes that's true as well so, you know, the, so as, the, as the
0: darker you know, sort of goes goes through the rest of the world you seal yourself off as a beacon of light i'm not saying mm-hmm. that's
1: how we feel about it. well and the, the other problem when you do that is that you turn out to have a really boring foundation could anybody but asimov have ever thought up an idea of a room full of encyclopedia writers as heroes of the universe <laughs> well actually
0: you're, you're Actually talking to a genre that typically casts librarians as heroes of the universe. So, yeah, I reckon if you gave it some time, somebody else would have. Yeah, but I take your point, too.
1: There's a difference. Librarians, characteristically, they are heroes. I love stories with librarians Mm -hmm. as heroes. uh, There are librarian heroes in in, in one of Ellen Klages' best stories and one of Bradbury's best stories. Uh, There's the TV series, The Librarians, which is actually a lot of fun. But the nature of a librarian is to invite people in, is to want people to come and interact. The notion of uh, of, of, of the secret society uh, or, or, or the elite society is to keep people out. Here's a typically ill-prepared observation and question
0: for you that I don't um, know that I have an answer to myself. Are there more heroic fictional librarians in fantasy than there are in science fiction?
1: I, I would think so, and I would think so again, without giving any thought to it at all or having any supporting evidence, that fantasy as a genre, uh, especially recently, tends to like to celebrate literature. It celebrates books. It's full of magical books. It's full of secret books. It's full of books that are uh, portals to other worlds. I mean, we've seen this uh, certainly with, with Alex Harrow's 10,000 um, uh, Hours of January. Uh, so, so the idea that libraries... Uh, become heroic figures in fantasy because books are more likely to be heroic objects in fantasy than in Which is a fiction.
0: curious thing when you consider science fiction's assumed relationship to knowledge, right? So fantasy I, I see having more heroic librarians and booksellers, right? I can think mm-hmm. of bookstores and all Garth, this sort of thing through fantasy. And Even as you say in the last 12, exactly, The Left-Handed Booksellers of London, which is a terrific book and it's just out and I recommend, um, but also, you know, Alex Harrow's book, The Ten Thousand Doors of January, which has heroic librarian and heroic books mm. and all kind of thing. More heroic bartenders in science fiction. That's probably true, I suppose.
1: <laughs> uh, there, Okay, so, so are, are, are we sort of creating a new way of defining genres that no. fantasies <laughs> are about libraries and... Science fiction is about taverns. <laughs> no, because I'm
0: sure for a start, somebody's listening to this podcast right now when it goes out, uh, and is outraged that we're overlooking the obvious example of X and
1: Y and Z. Right. Of course we are. Uh, and I'm sure that, well, there are, there are time traveling librarians, um uh, uh I suppose, in science fiction. But but I, I want to stick with that idea of, of taverns for a minute because look at how many science fiction collections of stories, and movies for that matter. I mean, everybody thinks of Star Wars these days. But go back to Arthur Clarke's uh, Tales of the White Heart, to, uh, to the Gavigan's bar stories, to uh, uh, Spider Robinson. In other words, saloons um, and, and bars, I think, have a couple of... Uh, obvious real science fiction one is that they tend to be urban and two that they tend to look back toward a history which points toward uh westerns western adventures well to test our pretty shaky thesis for a second though doesn't the lord of the rings mostly start in a tavern it has a very important tavern scene that's true uh
0: but i guess the tavern
1: keeper is not important no and and it's a setting in other words it's a setting Mm -hmm -hmm. not a recurrent uh Idea, Like, for example, I mean, the, I go to the short story, the club stories, as Clute calls them, which may be set in taverns, they may be set in bars, they may be set in, in, in private clubs. They're storytelling venues. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that um, in in fantasy, a great place to have a character relate a legend or a myth or a uh, important backstory is to have them meet in, in, in a bar or a tavern.
0: I'm trying to think whether I think this is true. I'm not sure I do. But do you think
1: that science fiction
0: stories are less likely than fantasy stories to treat collections of books as, and that, that kind of preservation of knowledge as being an important thing? Or do you think they share it equally, or do you think they treat it differently? Where for science fiction, it's that preservation against the dark you see in foundation, whereas in yeah. fantasy, it's that mythical text kind of thing.
1: Um I think the, the difference there probably is the book as a magical object, which it tends not to be in science fiction. I mean, one of the key um, images from my early reading in science fiction, one of the images that still disturbs me to this day is when H.G. Wells, as the time traveler, finds that the Eloi have a library full of books. And, of course, the books fall to dust as soon as he touches them because they haven't been looked at in thousands of years. So, so the idea of preserving knowledge uh, becomes malleable. In other words, books can be destroyed in science fiction. So other ways need to be found to preserve knowledge. And, and science fiction is full of thousands and thousands of other ways to preserve knowledge. There's uh, one of the stories, which was in actually uh, Your Year's Best, was I think it was Carolyn Joachim's story, The Arc Chronology of Love, uh, which deals with an alien kind of uh, stack of, um, of realities, really. And it's a, it's a fascinating kind of concept. So in science fiction, the preservation of knowledge is important. In fantasy, the preservation of books is important because the books are, uh, the, the technology is not going to replace the book. So you have ancient books, you have everything from the Necronomicon to, uh, well, name any famous book you can from fantasy. Those books have to be obtained. They have to be, uh, they have to have an original copy of them because they're talismans. And my guess is that science fiction books are not talismans. They're simply one among many technologies for preserving and passing on information.
0: Is it an, on an insanely simplistic level, the difference between the preservation of old knowledge and the discovery of new knowledge is, is, the, is the dichotomy?
1: I think that's a good point. That's a very good point now that I think about it. Do people in fantasy novels ever learn anything new, or do they just rediscover old knowledge? Oh, I think they do
0: do discover what is new. I
1: think it would be very, very dangerous to suggest they don't get Well, I'm not suggesting they don't, but I'm I'm thinking of some good recent fantasy novels uh including uh let's say um Joe Abercrombie's current series which which moves moves a medieval fantasy world into something resembling an industrial revolution. there new knowledge is coming into the world, new ideas are coming into the world, but they're ideas that from our perspective as readers are historical ideas.
0: Let me ask you this actually, since you bring up that series, which is uh a little hatred and the trouble of pete with peace and i forget Mm. the series title for the moment um do you think that with abercrombies taking his um fantasy world through an industrial revolution he is actually in a sense doing a almost a science fiction story in a fantasy setting
1: um I think he's using, he's introducing science fictional techniques into a fantasy setting. Yeah, I think he's, um, and he's not the only one doing that. There's another novel I read fairly recently that involves a kind of, um, industrial revolution in a fantasy setting. Uh, so, so the idea that happens is that you have characters in fantasy works that think like characters in science fiction works. Um, and they become, in, in Abercrombie's case, they become the characters who cause the change to happen, um. There's an interesting uh, argument to be made about a certain kind of fantasy. I was reading um, recently a a book about Brian Aldiss, which I can't give too many details about because it's not out for quite a while yet. And Brian Aldiss wrote uh, an interesting novel called The Molossia Tapestry, which was one of his few fantasy novels, which is about a world completely in stasis, a world in which nothing changes. And he wrote that partly as a critique of what he saw as is what tends to happen in epic fantasy, you have a fixed world, and in order to bring lasting change to that world, um, you need to introduce science fiction elements into it. Um, otherwise, you've got a fantasy such as Lord of the Rings, where the goal is not to change the world; it's to restore it. You know, you've got you've got the kind of Grail quest fantasy where you just want to undo the damage to the world. And get things back to normal. You want to, you, know, you want to go back to Hobbiton and have your pies. Do stories like The Trouble with Peace and A Little Hatred, do they point to the fact that there is actually a false
0: dichotomy between science fiction and fantasy? And the simple idea that science fiction are, is, if you like, uh, stories that could happen and fantasy are stories that could not happen, that it's actually a fairly, a fairly oversimplistic view of the world. And that science, science fiction and fantasy, by their very nature, intrinsically blur and meld.
1: I think that's probably inevitable uh, because fantasy, it's, it's not that fantasy runs out of material, but uh, I, I think when you have fantasy writers today and Abercrombie, actually the other writer who I was thinking of introducing sort of technological change is K.J. Parker, uh, who does that fairly regularly. And I think you're right. I think there's a certain amount of science fictional thinking that goes into those characters. And stylistically, there's certainly a lot of kind of uh, uh, well, contemporary dialogue, let's say, so so there's there's a contemporary feel to those fantasies that I think are partly a critique of traditional fantasy, partly an undermining of traditional fantasy, and partly exactly what you're saying, partly saying, look, fantasy can borrow things from science fiction that will enliven it and 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 wake it up. By the same token, science fiction borrows things from fantasy all the time. If you look at everybody from Jack Vance to Gene Wolfe to Anne McCaffrey, you find images from fantasy incorporated into science fiction um, as a way of expanding science fiction's territory. True. Looking at the broad spectrum of fantasy segues us into
0: something that happened this week. This week, Time magazine released a a compiled list, the 100 best fantasy books of all time which is an interesting list. Uh, I have very specific thoughts on it, which I'll you know, maybe we'll get to, but we'll observe that it is a list of 100 titles by a range of authors, a number of whom appear a number of times, including a number of the people who actually compiled the list. So Nora Jemison, Neil Gaiman, Sabah Tahir, Tommy Adeyemi, Diana Gabaldon, George Martin, Cassandra Clare, Marilyn James, and the Times staff went through a list and compiled it, and came up with a list which includes, I think, something like a third of the titles that have been produced
1: in the last six years. I I saw this, um, our colleague Rich Horton pointed out, that Hmm. a third of the best 100 fantasy books of all time have been written In the last six years, which strikes me as being unlikely. But before we go on to that, I I want to exempt any of the individual people. I think Neil Gaiman has posted his own personal list that he sent. So all these authors uh, submitted lists, and you're right, the Time staff went through them and by some of algorithms we don't know. I'll I'll go further. I
0: have no criticism. In fact, I've got a side comment about, about the whole thing, but I've got no criticism of any of the works that are on the list, or anybody who compiled the list. Um, I've got a very set feeling now about these kinds of lists. I can hmm. think of any number of others. Locus magazine, which we work, work for, compiled the, a list of the greatest fantasy novels of all time before 1999, which it came out or 1990, 1990, which came out in 1999. Um, mm. And David that, that, that forced it, a, it. A, a period of, bio, of you know, in there. Mm. Uh, Michael Moorcock did a book, the 100 mm. best fantasy books of all time or something, or fantasy of the 100 best books.
1: Wasn't that Pringle? No, that's science fiction, the 100 best books. Pringle did More, 100 science fiction books and Moorcock did the 100 best fantasy books. I think you're
0: That correct. is correct. And the one thing that you know for sure is that whilst there is some... In fact, when we make an allowance for recency bias, if we're going to, Locus Mm. attempted to filter that out, rightly or meaningfully or not. The Moorcock List was published in 1988 and featured a book from 1987. So, you know, there's always going to be that kind of thing. So I suppose the conversation I would launch on this starts with this. I recently listened to an episode of a podcast uh, about the Rolling Stone 500 Best Albums of All Time. Mm. and the two hosts who were editors for word magazine and co-host one of them hosted live aid actually um have been around in, in the music industry for a long time and they pointed out that these lists no longer have any meaning in fact that to music listeners today the album has less and less meaning now certainly the the novel to the extent that these are all novels uh very much still has a meaning but there's a question of what this kind of list means because I don't think we can see these as canonical lists or an attempt to form canon anymore, even though they're presented in that language. I think at best they form useful conversation starting starting points. There's no point or value or um, interest in some ways in saying, well, you made the mistake of, you know, missing off, you know, title X from your thing, or you were clearly insane when you added title Y to the list, you know. It should have been something else. It's more, here is a an attempt, this is how I'd read it, an attempt to continue the discussion of the field rather than anything else. And the value here with the recency biases, mm-hmm. uh, and where I'm actually very sympathetic to the recency bias of it is, the older lists tend to concretize, if that's a word, uh, the older view of canon. They say these are the texts, these are the people, these are the places. These true. this this list with its list which is so recent is actually much more diverse. And suddenly we get many. I don't think either the Moorcock list or the Locust list bring in writers like Amos Tuatola, who has two titles on this book on this list. Right. You know. So there's that 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 sense of diversity. And if if you want to sort of actually usefully look at a hundred best books list, what you really need to do in some ways is either find a group of people who agree what a book is, what fantasy is, what all time means, and then what you need to do is get them all to read all of them and then put together a list, and then it will still only be their list. The only other way to do it would be to get everybody to put list and then actually average everybody's list,
1: you know. So, more than a conversation then, starter and, 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 or a terrible mistake. Okay, there are c- certain uh, things that annoy me about the list. Actually, the, the recency bias is, is not a terrible problem. I think a lot of the list is corrective. You mentioned Amos Tutuola. There are there's a variety of, uh, of, of cultures represented. in them. On the other hand, the list treats The Lord of the Rings as three separate novels. The Lord of the Rings has three positions on a list, and it's a novel. Um, I think uh, the same thing happened with Philip Pullman. The same thing happened with uh, uh, the Narnia stories. Uh, there's more than one Narnia title. <clears throat> so if you're going to come up with a hundred, uh, don't just use up your time by putting second and third and fourth volumes down. The other question is exactly the one you're saying, which is, uh, who is a list, what is a list like this for? Most of the celebration I've seen, uh, and a lot of people were very pleased, a lot of our friends obviously were very pleased to be on the list, as they should be. But the celebration, I think, largely had nothing to do with whether people are going to actually read through these hundred books, and a lot to do with the fact. Look, Time Magazine is paying attention to us. Time Magazine thinks that fantasy books are worth reading. Time Magazine probably hasn't done a list of the 100 best divorce novels or the 100 best novels which involve cooking or the even the 100 best mystery novels. I don't think Time has done. If they have, I, I apologize. <clears throat> so it's as though Time has somehow validated the field. And the fact that it's validated the field with a list which is let me put it this way. A list which, if you like some things on the list, you will find other things on the list completely unreadable. Nobody is that eclectic a science fiction reader. I don't really think the people who are in love with, I don't know, let's say Mistborn, are going to run out and pick up a copy of Mallory's Mort d'Arthur uh, and and find anything in it that uh, is, is, is what they loved about their favorite contemporary fantasy. And nor are they,
0: I guess, supposed to, I don't think that's the intention of the list, I do think listening, I was thinking, do people, I mean, I'm I'm constantly bemused by this idea that people are affirmed by things like the Time 100 Best Books list as though it is culturally surprising or culturally hmm. affirming. I mean, consider this, uh, the Folio Society, which is a British uh, pu- publisher that puts out fine editions or collectible editions mm-hmm. of books and generally p- picks sort of, you know, old canonical works, this kind of a deal, right? So in the last two months, two well, the last like, four months, I guess, they come out in seasonally. They've done a collector's edition of Robin Hobb's Farseer trilogy. They d- mm-hmm. just released an edition of Stranger in a Strange Land by Heinlein. Um, Uh, And and the same day I found out about the copy of Stranger in Strange Land, I found out that about the, or saw the announcement for the Library of America edition of the first Octavia Butler volume they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the genre is not being regarded in the way that we within the ghetto like to think it's being regarded particularly. And so to see the time list in and of itself as essentially reaffirming is, I think, a little bit archaic. Well, what do you think the effect of the list is or ought to be then? Oh, I th- well, there's a little bit. I, I mean, what do I actually think the the effect of the list is? Um, I think it makes time look a little bit fresher at a time when people don't pay much attention to time. That could very well be. And I think time, I mean, there are, to be kind to time and to set aside the panel, there are a lot of contemporary best-selling writers on this list, Gary. mm mm-hmm. You know, Um lot of stuff that sells a lot of books. And so this is a thing which is going to get Garnish or Garner, sorry, Garner attention for time. I think that's a key part of it. I think from the perspective of the writers involved, you know, you would hope, for example, that if you looked at the time, best books, fantasy books, and you're interested in fantasy fiction, you're going to go, huh, I hadn't heard about Woven in Moonlight by Isabel Ibanez, which came out in January of 2020. I'm going to go down to my bookstore and pick up a copy, you know. In fact, the thing mm-hmm. that kind of I find curious about this list as a reader experience is if I was doing a list, I'd be getting people going, well, hang on. So you click. So you look at our summary of, I don't know, one of the Amos Tuatola books, and you go, oh, if you like this book on our list, on our list you might also like that book. And Ooh. you go across and read about Rebecca Roanhorse's Trail of Lightning, say, and go, huh, I'll go buy a copy of that because I did like this. But because
1: that's, that's what this the, is that's well that, that goes back to what uh, what i tend to say to people who who want a list i mean you must get this uh, yourself from um people who don't read a lot of science fiction or people who may be readers but they they want to get into science fiction or fantasy and they say what should i read and to me that is like i it, 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 it's like it's like a patient going into a pharmacy and saying what drug should i take um you want you want to know what your condition is. You want to know you know what 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 you'll tolerate well. You want to know uh, what 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 your priors are to some extent. Uh, so yeah, there are fantasies that I think, and we've said this before when we start talking about academic versions of canon. If you want to understand the history of fantasy, you probably can't do that at all without Diana Wynne Jones. Let's say. Uh, you probably can do it without reading any books published in the last six years. Uh, but that's, if you're trying to study the history, other than that, uh, when I, when somebody asked me a question like this, I have to start asking them questions. I have to start know, asking them whether they want character based, uh, whether they want lots of spectacle, whether they want, uh, uh surrealistic dreamlike, uh, visions and so forth and so on. Um, so, so to some extent, as we've said before, the only way to form a canon is to uh, is to read a lot and decide what your favorite books are. Period, and you're not going to agree with anyone else, nor should you. True. I mean, I I will strongly say, I,
0: I hope there is one thing that that has been on my mind while you're talking, and it's uh, we t- talked about the recency bias in the in the and we talked about touched on the exclusion of it, and I think it takes a certain amount of privilege from my perspective to sit there and say these lists are just conversation starters Mm. when if you're in a group that's been traditionally excluded from such lists for no good reason then you will feel it is a welcoming thing to look at a list and particularly a modern list i mean if you like the great thing about this list as opposed to a bunch of other lists is by foregrounding the work that it does from the last decade which is, as we've said over and over and over and over in this converse, in this podcast, a time of diversity and increasing diversity, particularly post the mid-decade of 2015, 14, around then. I think it really began to change then. Those people can look at this list and say... We're being reflected there and starting to be reflected there. And that's important. And what's more, when, you, when some other people, and I've seen a lot of conversation already about this going, this list is completely, uh, you know, irrelevant because or wrong because it misses out X or Y or Z, which mm-hmm. any hundred list is going to list, going to miss. Of course. Um, and it's completely wrong because it has all these, you know, new, writers and new books I mean on one how, how can a book how could you know if a book came out in January of 2020 is one of the hundred greatest books of all time you know it's it is in fact it's so intrinsically ridiculous that you have to set that aside because you know these these are hundred fantasy books from all time that are really worth you paying attention and I think, I think, I think we are. have to be very careful about saying mm. that um it's crazy to have this stuff because we're not acknowledging that bias wall, and how the people who are su- who see this sort of thing as a welcoming thing, you're actually kind of going, Well, no, you know, person of color who's happy to see people of color on the list, to see Marlon James on the list, to see Rebecca Rowan on the mm. list, you know, to see Tomi Adiemi and R.F. Quang and Sylvia Moreno Garcia and whoever else on the list. You're wrong because your stuff's new or whatever. I, I think that's something you really don't want to be
1: doing. No, I don't think you want to do that at all. And I think one of the things that leads toward a contemporary bias is exactly what you're saying. You have a lot of voices that haven't, w- w- characteristically were not heard until 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And it's, 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 it's a question of, is it the best work that this author is? It, is it, is it really one of the great 100 works or is it even the best work that this author has uh, produced? I've had, as you know, I added, uh, I've been editing a series of <clears throat> monographs about science fiction writers and I get proposals from people who want to write, a book about a writer who's maybe forty years old, um, and you look at uh, one of the books, which oh, one of the books on the list is 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 by a a, a good friend of ours, Nadia Korofor's "Who Fears Death" is there, and I think most people by now would agree that that's probably her masterpiece so far. But she's not an old writer; she has a major <laughs> work ahead of her, and I I, I don't think that uh, without having asked Nadia about it, I don't think that she wants to. Be told that she's never going to write anything better than that. I don't think any
0: oh, writer yeah. wants to go that No, no. And look, they're all, I mean, if I were to quibble with the list, I mean, first of all, I'll pick up your quibble. I don't know that I necessarily would have had multiple books by one author on the list. I think just in the sheer interest of diversity, the world isn't, or the list it doesn't win by adding book one and book two. Do you need a hmm. wizard of diversity? And. Uh, uh, Terms of Etowah. Do you need yeah. the grace of kings and the wall of storms? And uh, you know, I think they're, they're they're fine books, and I've got no problem with them being included. But the, you know, the opposite, which was a flaw in the Locust list, was it went the other way. You know, when Lo- Locust compiled the list in nineteen their list in nineteen ninety eight, they mm. reduced everything down. To a series, so for example, something wicked this way Come by by Bradbury appears on the list, but so does the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett, which is absurd to reduce forty some novels down to a Discworld, right? You know, uh, I mean the list is fl- that list that list fl- is flawed in its own way, though it has certain traditional things, and some things obviously are reflective of the time. I mean, there are two two or three titles that are missing well that don't appear not that don't appear on the on the time list which i think stand out i think mervyn peak not appearing on the list stands Mm. out i think gorman gast is one of the great pillars of fantasy i don't like it at all but i think it's a great pillar fantasy i think lovecraft not appearing on the list is telling
1: Mm. you
0: know and I'm curious about the omission of Little Little Big, as I know Rich Horton was in his comment. Right, These are books that I would I'd expect add, to be there. Yeah. But, you know, surely, I mean, the correct response, I mean, there's a little bit of it here in this conversation. I hope that we're being a little bit too serious about it. Is This is something to be to, to be argued over in a friendly way, in a bar, for fun. Not in a serious way. I mean, I look at the locust list, which I, I mean, I was around when they compiled that list, Gary, and like, mm. I would chuck half of the things off this list and question other things. Like, I find it really interesting that the time list foregrounds Brandon Sanderson, who's, who's fine, right? but, mm-hmm. and, but doesn't mention David Eddings or, oh, Stephen R. Donaldson or, you, you know, are- you know, uh, there are some books that are on this list that, and and I do I would list in this case some of the epic fantasy titles more mm-hmm. than and the Sandersons are one that come to mind. Wouldn't really exist without these key other texts, you know. And would I list personally, say, Get in Trouble, which is a spectacular short story collection by Kelly Fritton, as one of the 100 best fantasy books of I'm not sure I would, you know.
1: Oh uh, Well, that's uh, that raises the question of what is and what isn't a fantasy book. I've seen people mm. arguing that Watership Down isn't really a fantasy because they're real rabbits. But they're real rabbits that are talking. Uh, so. <laughs> but, I mean, there there are things, as I said, you're right. There are things that are formative to fantasy. There are... Um, for example, the the other one, which I think I would have automatically put on the list, was *Lud* and *Lud* in the Mist, simply because it echoes through so many other fantasies for the next century or so. Um, there's very little in the way of 19th-century fantasy in there, and there probably shouldn't be. If you went back and look at um, the other kind of uh, touch point that a lot of us have used for for decades now, of of kind of classic fantasy, which people still think is marketable would have been the Valentine adult fantasy series back in the late 60s and 70s, uh, which had things on it like uh, Voyage to Arcturus by David Lindsay. It had things on it by James Branch Cable, who I don't think made this list. I'm not sure. Um, But it also um, was—they were making very shrewd decisions about what they thought they could sell. They tried to sell a prose translation of Ariosto's Orlando Furioso, which is, by most modern fantasy standards— uh, a kind of mythic poem more than a more than a fantasy um so to some extent uh i think what's behind the timeless are a hundred books which people who think they like fantasy probably would like or at least like parts of i think it's hard to it's hard to not put um uh, alice in wonderland on there's that Al- yeah uh but is it necessary to have both alice in wonderland and through the looking glass since almost all the editions you buy now have both of them in one volume anyway
0: no, I don't think there is. And how can you look at the list and say, you know, look, um okay, we'll put the Arabian Nights on it and La Morta Tour on it and Alison Wandel on it, uh, 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 on it, but, you know, none of us have ever read you know Water Margin, which is a Chinese classic, you know, right. from the 14th century. I mean, like, I'd, I'd, sh- I'd never heard of it before this week. So how can you possibly, you know, say that your list is, the hundred greatest of all time. You know, surely for a start, you should, I mean, if you're going to go about this for bar, for bar fun, you'd go, you know, such, you oh, know. Yeah. You now, if I was going to put together the Street book list of fantasy, a hundred great fantasy books to read, I would limit it for, to say 1901 to 1999. Keep it in the 20th century, mm. a little bit of time. From, and then you've got to cast around the world for a start. And you've got to find people who actually have read widely before you can begin to, because who, who actually, how many people who were involved in this actually read The Palmwine Drinkard and read Mistborn?
1: That's exactly the point I was making earlier. And who, Who is a fantasy of contemporary, who, who is an Angela Carter reader really going to enjoy, uh, oh, I don't know, Watership Down, which is a lot more innocent a kind of novel. I think one of the things that the list does right, and that I'm very pleased with the list, is that it erases the distinction between children's young adult and adult fantasies. I mean, it basically says that, okay, the, the uh, not, not just with Narnia, which is pretty obvious, because Narnia is one of those children's books that escaped children's literature uh, because it was C.S. Lewis. I'm glad that the Narnia books survived despite the problems, uh, but by and large, they were meant to be kids' books. The Phantom Tollbooth is on the list. Um Normally, if you look at classic lists of fantasies, you look at fantasies directed uh, at adults. It doesn't, not,
0: do Yeah, well, yeah, it doesn't make that. I, I think that's a good thing. Um, how would you? Let me. Okay, I've said that I think it's a. Well, I would not put two books by the same writer on a list. But then, how do you deal with situation? And I don't think this is as true in the, most of the cases here, where they're series titles and the you know, series are separate issues i guess but generally they're quite often they're one contiguous in na- that narrative which would, what you talk about lord of the rings but uh-huh. how do you look at something like say a wizard of Earthsea, which i think every list includes that i've seen oh, whether sure. it's the time one or whatever else but how do you take that against tahanu which is a materially different type of book but from the same series and i love tahanu right mm. i think it's a genuinely great book and didn't get the kudos that it deserves so you know is there a point where you go Actually, it's, it's not so much by one author, but from one series, but even that would rule out Tahanu. And I could see that, I mean, in some ways, I can see a greater argument for including Tahanu on this list with a Wizard of Earthsea than including Tombs of Achuan.
1: Well, I think that um, the, the problem with Tahanu, and we, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking with Alex Harris, is that it's a critical fiction. It's a fiction which is in response to an earlier series that she had written years earlier, and it's a very kind of thoughtful uh, rethinking of it. I don't know if it's, a, it, it's not iconic in the way that they're going for it. I mean, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, what do we got by Neil Gaiman on the list? Neverwhere? Yeah, uh, and uh, American Gods, I think. Okay, and i would make an books? argument uh, i would make an argument that as a structured novel uh, as a kind of uh, personal vision uh, that probably will outlast both of them the ocean at the end of the lane is actually a better book actually uh,
0: here here's a criticism of, of the list i would make mm-hmm. i like neil gaiman personally i like neil gaiman's fiction mm-hmm. i think it's good and i think it gets better over time and i agree with you if, if what you're saying is that the ocean at the lane is the best Novel he's written. I mm. don't think that, and I say this with all affection in the world, that three percent of the greatest book, fantasy novels of all time have been written by Neil Gaiman. Well, when you start putting percentages on it, then well, he gets, yes, there's correct. three titles on here because Good Omens is here, Neverwhere right, is here, American Gods is here. Right now, different books, quite different books. Very typically mm-hmm. of Neil to be quite different. Who has a new book out right now? Actually, Gary, his big thud book, the Neil Gaiman Reader, oh, the seven hundred pages the of stuff, Neil
1: Gaiman Reader yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but lots, oh, lots of stories and i wouldn't have put th- three books on there i don't think well i wouldn't as, as we said before i wouldn't put three books by tolkien on there because i don't think i would not no. put the silmarillion on the list and i would list the lord of the rings as one book um so i i think the same thing was true about c.s lewis i don't know how many of the narnia books two or three of them are on there mm-hmm. i think um there are some Narnia novels that are better than other Narnia novels. But let's face it, Narnia is one concept. It's one kind of thing. Um, there are also a couple of books. Uh, McCaffrey is on there uh, when she kept insisting, no, this is science fiction. This is not fantasy. Yeah, and they fact, don't fact, the book that's really, there won the Nebula. Yeah, e- Or exactly. Chunk of it so it won the Nebula. The, and she started out publishing in Analog, for heaven's sake. Yeah, uh, in fact, it was so published think, in Astounding. Well, it's where search drag- Right. Where Search? The very first uh, Dragon Story. Which is um. in
0: the book that's on the list. And then, of course, there's, there's this other thing, and I don't know if you had this reaction as well, because this is, I think, where it becomes the drinking game almost, with pastime. I look at things and I go, you put that on there, you're, you've got the right writer, but the wrong book, right? You oh, know, yeah. It's like, there's Robin McKinley, you put Spindle's End on, right? Now, Spindle's End is a good book, and it doesn't not deserve to be there, but Deerskin is phenomenal, You know, uh, our friend, friend of the podcast and wonderful person, Ellen Kushner is represented Mm -hmm. by her popular and strong book swords point. But I will go to my grave arguing that Thomas the rhymer is a better book, you know? Um,
1: well, this is, this is, uh, this is another subtext when somebody says, (laughs) um, no, I, I, I think you're right. And I would tend to agree, but, but you're right. Swords point is a beloved book. Um, uh, And I think that to a large extent, what you're looking at on a list like this is 100 of the most beloved fantasy novels, the fantasy novels that a lot of people really like. And they're not always, uh, you know, they're not always the best example of what the author does, but they're the most, um, I don't want to say most popular because popularity takes on an odd, uh, uh, ambiguous meaning when you're talking about the multiple audiences that read fantasy. But I do think that... um, there's a sense of uh, affection. The most affectionately thought of, the 100 uh, most beloved fantasy novels would look a lot like this. Uh, with, with, as I say, the obvious uh, caveats that um, that there uh, are too many to too many authors represented multiple times. Um, American Gods is. Um, a beloved novel uh, it's not nearly as tight and brilliantly structured a novel as the ocean at the end of the Lane*, but it's more widely read it's been adapted to television uh, I don't know how many George Martin books are on here but uh, uh, there are a couple I think at least I think uh, the the whole song of ice and fire is yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah well it's like I mean you mentioned that N- Nettie Corfor she's there for two for who fears death and a Witch. Witch*.
1: right I
0: mean, I love both books, and I particularly love Akata Witch, and I've got no problem with being there, but interesting, interesting. Tell you
1: know what else is think, interesting, So, what you're saying. Just, just, just a parenthesis to that, I have a, a sense from talking to, to Nettie and from what she's said online that, you know, her best Akata novel, that series, I think the best one of those novels is yet to come. And I think that may be true of a lot of things in, in, in her career as a – comparatively young writer. I mean, she's younger than I am. Nettie, if you're listening, you're a lot younger than I am. I can call you a youngster. Shut up.
0: Ah, oh, Gary. Well, tell what else is interesting I mean, to me and is part of the, 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 not quite the drinking game conversation, but the Observer thing, and more about the right or wrong of the time list, which genuinely I'm happy with. Um, and that's what's, how it shows what's being seen. I mean, the two lists have mentioned, the Locust list and the Michael Moorcock list, they are mm. really with inside the genre list right yeah they're the genre talking to itself the 100 best fantasy books is a hybrid i think because if you look at most of the people who are voting or who are nominating i guess not voting um they have an extensive background in the field a lot of them a lot of experience reading Mm. but it also bleeds out that's where you get the wheel of time coming in and mistborn and other stuff but it's interesting what's disappearing right if you draw a line at about 1990 on the list and then ask yourself what's disappearing tim powers is not there right uh on 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 the time list um gene Wolfe is not on the time list uh john crowley's not on the time list this kind of thing and does is that because they're it's a more if you like populist list in some ways or is it because the field is shifting his attention. I feel like Glory Road, which came in at 24 on the Locust list, which we talked about before, and I mm. don't think appears on the Moorcock list. I'd have to do a search to check. Um, it doesn't appear on the 100 best list, and wouldn't appear on my 100 best list, to be really honest. Um, the Dying Earth, which appears on the, lo- the Locust list, doesn't appear, I think. And I think appears mm. on the Moorcock list, doesn't appear on the top. The riot- li- library, right? Fritz Liber doesn't appear for either his major, major standalone, wonderful fantasy, Our Lady of Darkness, or for the Fafhrd and Gray Mouser sequence, or for anything, you know. It well, reflects a as change as in as time.
1: A, as a general rule, you mentioned Lovecraft. As a general rule, there are very few, if any, authors on the list who are primarily short fiction writers.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that reflects the best books because you're sitting there going, well, how do
1: you map that?
0: You know, do you sit there and go, I mean, what was the... I should know this off the top of my head. The first
1: Lovecraft collection was with The Outsiders, uh, the Outsider and Others, yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. The Outsider and Others. Because uh, The Outsider is the, the, the Hinton novel. Uh, arguably, that
1: should be on a 100 most influential books list, shall we say. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think even the people, and maybe especially the people who are in the process of revising and rethinking and reinventing Lovecraft would, would, would agree that the reason they're doing that is because Lovecraft is a powerful imagination and a powerful influence. He's, he's hard to ignore. It makes you wonder if there are people uh, omitted from the list because their stock is very low right now as human beings. Uh, but I don't think we know that. I mean there' no there are right, religious attitudes of c s. Lewis which bother me a lot, but he 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 wasn't uh, quite the flaming racist that lovecraft was. but it's it's very possible that just people didn't have a book. They didn't have a single book they could point to. There's not. Uh, a standard collection of Lovecraft. Ruel Dahl, I think, is on the list, isn't he, for... Yeah. He's got a couple of things. And he's a one, fairly terrible person, I think. He was an awful person. And um, he's there... I thought one of his short story collections was there, but maybe not. Uh, James and the Giant Peach the, is there. The
0: BFG is there.
1: Yeah, on the BFG. So there are two titles there, but not his short fiction, which I think probably is had a longer-lasting influence, maybe more in the area of horror and suspense than in fantasy but by and large um the i'm glad to see the bfg there because it's basically a kid's book uh there are people who have some kind of um problem with it i never actually read it to tell you the truth and i couldn't get through spielberg's movie so i don't know that yeah. much about it but i know it's problematic in some ways according to many and, people and look,
0: there was a, f- a facebook post i don't know that it was particularly public so i have to be a little careful but there's a facebook post that neil gaiman released <laughs> Earlier in the week, talking about the list, mm-hmm. and it maybe gives a slight, you know, sort of hint as to the way the list came together, and how you should view an individual's involvement. And you know, he apparently says he submitted a list of forty titles to the uh-huh. list of a hundred, and many of them didn't make it. Frankly, yeah, I'm sure. You yeah. know, and I look at his list and I go, yeah, I would agree with that, and I would agree with that, and whatever else. But, you know, there, there's no The Reefs of Earth by Lafferty. There's no Child Across the Carol. There's no by Wolf. You know, there's no Shirley Jackson for crying out.
1: Right. Uh, and, and, and these are things that I think goes back to another implicit flaw in the list, which is that what are they using for a definition of fantasy? Are they Damn excluding all supernatural horror? Are they excluding I think they have. I think
0: part of the reason for Lovecraft not being there, and there's a range for Lovecraft maybe not being there, but... Mm part of the maybe and
1: hey, no Stephen King there's no Stephen King I mean the supernatural stories like uh, I was thinking I was uh, he's obviously a close friend of mine but I was thinking reading something about Peter Straub's ghost story which comes up again and again and again in lists of books that have changed people's lives there are always some Stephen King that show up on but I think you're right I think at some point they decided that supernatural horror hmm. or supernatural in general is not fantasy which is is a kind of theoretical assumption that uh, goes unexamined on the list as far as I can tell.
0: So if it came down to what I would say, because we probably beaten this topic to de- death, and the, when we first, in email, briefly touched on maybe talking about the topic of the time 100 best books, and before I actually suggest something insane elsewhere, um, we are getting to, towards the end of the discussion of canon, surely, and 100 lists and all this kind of thing. Oh yeah, There's not much... Of, I mean, even if other people have interesting things to say... You know, I think we're clear on the idea that canon is not a useful concept for people who, who are reading and enjoying science fiction and fantasy or a lot of other things, that any list is a, is a discussion, not an end point, etc. Et and et you know, we shouldn't be inclu- excluding
1: lots and lots of stuff. Right, and I think the idea of list, and we've said this before, and, and this, this is very much true of the Time 100 list, is that it in no way should be taken as a list of books that you should read, or morally are obligated to read, or even that books you would probably enjoy. I can't imagine the reader—in fact, if there is such a reader who enjoys equally every book on this list, I don't want to meet that person. (laughs) I don't want to go have a drink with that person at all. I I really don't want to listen to that person (laughs) on and on. That's terrible.
0: I'm not sure I endorse that message. (laughs) (laughs) What? Really? Well, look, I will say this. I find it difficult to imagine someone who would equally enjoy, to use your phrasing Mm. of it, uh, Mistborn, The Final, For, the Final Empire by Brandon Sanders The Wee Free Men by Terry Pratchett The Wandering Unicorn by Manuel Mujer de Lainley And Mary Poppins by Travers I mean, To equally involve enjoy those with A very curious actor Tell me
1: what I it would do Exactly, go ahead, I finish your, your thought what I would do though If
0: you want to hive off a sub list to this list If you're listening to the podcast now straight listen Podcast mm. listeners And a shout out to each and every one of you and there are books on the list that were published after 2000 that you've not read. I would by and large, with one or two personal exceptions, but by and large, strongly encourage you to go and ch- try them. There's some really terrific books on here. Whether it's A Stranger in a Londria, whether it's the Nora Jemison books, whether it's the Ken mm. Liu books, whether it's, I mean, at the point where you begin to like stop mentioning people specifically, that begins to feel like you're being, you know, and I don't want to be exclusive or ex- exclusionary or insulting, but, or the Victor Laval or the Fondalee or, you know, the Rochelle mm-hmm. yeah. New or whatever else. Right. Go read some of these books because there is some really good, uh, reading here. Uh, I would particularly say maybe go read, I don't know. I would go read the Sylvia Moreno Garcia, a writer who's clearly on the ascendant right now. Mm-hmm. Um, go read Rebecca Roanhorse and Chelsea Polk. Um, these are people who are RF Quine. finding their yeah who are finding their feet in a major way right now to appear on this list to get the kind of I mean if you're being cast in the same context and I think you can actually group the recent titles in that way semi-usefully if you're being put in the same frame as David Mitchell and uh, Kazuo Ishiguro you deserve to be at least
1: looked at I think that's true on the other hand I would say that if uh, if, if you're coming to this list and for the first time uh, you're hearing of uh, Fonda Lee or Rebecca Horse or Ken Liu, that means you haven't been paying much attention for the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yes, and maybe you wouldn't be listening to this particular podcast. If you're podcast, all yeah. interested in contemporary fantasy, you shouldn't need this list as a guide, except possibly looking at some of the things that um, that that predate your interest or some of the things that may be less well-known. For example, uh, the, the the you mentioned Marlon James, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Uh, that's a novel which I think... Could lead you backward to uh, Amos Tutuolo's palm wine drinker, and you'd find it a much, you'd find the connections delightful. So, one of the things that a list like this does, except the list, a raw list, doesn't actually do it, is it enables you to find connections between different kinds of things. Uh, In other words, Ken Liu makes uh, interesting use of. Chinese history and Chinese mythology, but he also invents his own silk punk kind of thing. And looking at that connection and looking at, um, oh, I don't know, something like R.F. Quang's novels, you're looking at uh, finding cultural connections that um, that you might not have found on your own. On the other hand, I would I would recommend that people who are interested in, you know, history, the history and, and origins of fantasy might want to look at the relatively sparse uh, number of pre-1900 books on the list. True. True, 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 true. I mean, one um, of the questions that always comes up when I'm reading a novel uh, and, and is I'm always curious as to what novels this writer has read. Mm. And sometimes I can spot them, sometimes I can't find them, uh, but it's it's always interesting to figure out... Um, Neil Gaiman's not a good example because he's essentially a scholar of uh, of, of folklore and fantasy, as is Jane Yolen, as uh, mm. uh, Erlen Kushner. A lot of people are really serious students of the field. Uh, there are other writers though, where you think, uh, there's some odd origins there. There's some odd stories behind this person. Uh, I think of Sophia Samatar, for example, uh, a a genuinely multicultural writer who has some background reading that I wouldn't have expected. And so, so every writer, every book you read can lead you off to other books. And it's one of the reasons that one of the, one of my favorite things to do in reading any novel. And one of the first things I look at when I get a novel are the acknowledgement. Yeah. And I get, I get really annoyed when (laughs) I have, as I have now, uh, the, um, advanced reading copies of these novels where the acknowledgements page says acknowledgements, TK. (laughs) Well, I I just want, want there's
0: a couple of things. First of all, I'm always going to love this list for one reason, this order sort of list for one reason. I like being in a bar arguing with someone over about how they could possibly have chosen Swordspoint over Thomas the Rhymer. That's a kind of yeah. pointless reader conversation I enjoy. Right. So for that reason I like it. I would want to shout out to every single fantasy writer out there who didn't make the list. There's probably like 60 people who've got books on this list or something. Yeah. Everybody else didn't fail because they, you know, they're they not there. You know, just because this list didn't see your book doesn't mean your book doesn't belong in that conversation. And I've seen one or two people right. obviously feeling omitted by this and that concerns me. I feel like, I mean, and I saw an interesting conversation with some of the work of Stephen Erickson, the author of The Malison, uh, uh-huh. um, Book of the Fallen, uh, expressing some frustration at the way their epic fantasy is regarded and I always think it's fair to say that epic fantasy understudied and underexamined and so it Gets represented, True. particularly commercial epic fantasy, gets underrepresented, and then that's kind of all I'm going to say. Other than like, I'm I kind of, it makes me kind of want to put together a list. It makes me kind of want to see folks well, other and I say, update I the this other list. thing.
1: I would say to to many of our friends who are on the list uh, is that this doesn't being put on a canonical list or even something that looks like a canonical list doesn't mean you've done your best work. One of the things I thought was, um, I mean, I, I already mentioned uh, Nedir Carfor. But I, I also noticed that uh, Nala Hopkinson is on there for her first novel, which is an excellent novel. Uh, but she's actually gained in depth and complexity as a writer since then. Uh, I think the thing is the brown girl in the ring has had enough time to gain some resonance over a lot of different readers. Uh, I don't want Nalo to think, eh you're never going to do any better than that. No 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 and in fact it
0: tells you a little bit about how i feel about our field that the things that make me exciting are so excited you know th- things like uh N- nalo commenting on instagram she's just finished a new novel that's looking for a publisher so hello world out there nalo hopkinson there's a new novel that's looking for a publisher so that's exciting i think it's exciting if you love fantasy that james blaylock has a new book out there in the world looking to find a um a publisher, or may have by now, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, similarly, that uh, Jonathan Carroll has a novel; that only it hasn't appeared in English yet. That's out there, and that they are just three of a plethora of people producing wonderful books that are coming in the years
1: ahead. It's the next. I guess that's books the that other have, thing. That's the other thing to keep in mind about any list. Of- Mm-hmm. Uh, because you go through it and thinking, okay, I should read that. I should. I don't think anybody should take the next year off trying to catch up on the Time 100 list and ignoring the new novels that are coming out from the same writers who are already on it, which may in many cases actually be better. Mm.
0: Well, okay. Let's draw the curtains on that because we're up on the top of our hour thank you okay. time for producing a conversation topic rather than a canonical list that's going to define what everybody will regard as the greatest and let me tell you a story of how small our world is i received an email this uh-huh huh, two days ago you might go huh, an email it came from sweden it came from chris in sweden and he wanted to tell us how much he's been enjoying the lockdown episodes of the street podcast which thank is you, great, chris. great. And I'm really, really glad that he's doing it. You know, you know, sort of. And he's saying his hope will continue, even though, of course, he doesn't say this, that we've been a bit, bit bumpy about it lately, Gary. Um, and of course, to foreshadow, we are coming up to our annual hiatus at some point in the coming month and a half or so. And then we will take a bit of a break while we f- focus our energies elsewhere and then come back in the new year. Mm-hmm. But what made the small world think for me is he says to me, so, hi, by the way, based on where you live, Perth, West Australia, and the university you went to, Did you ever come across my uncle, who was a professor there in the history department? And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I did, Chris. He was my professor (laughs) in history. He's the guy who taught me uh, American history in like 1983, and maritime history, I think it was, maybe, in 1984. So yeah, I know exactly who he's in. And yes, even though you're in Sweden, very small world on this podcast. It is.
1: Well, it's... It's always nice to find connections like that, I suppose. I haven't mm. haven't done that with the podcast yet, although uh, you, every once in a while I will hear from somebody who uh, said that something that I wrote changed their life. This has happened to me, and I've talked to writers who are actual writers, not critics like myself. And you get a letter from somebody saying, this really, really changed my attitude about everything, and you don't remember ever having written it at all. That's... <laughs> I saw that happen to Doris Lessing once. Somebody asked a question from the audience. She was speaking here in Chicago at the Art Institute, I think. And somebody went on, a a guy, a young guy who clearly wanted to show that he was what we would now call woke described at great length a short story which had completely changed his attitude toward women and turned him into a feminist and now he's a better person than he's ever been. And her response was, thank you, I don't remember that story at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and while you were saying that, what I was thinking was, uh, in the
0: TV show Lucifer, Lucifer when you go to hell crafts your punishment in hell uniquely to you, your life. And you know what strikes me as the worst thing they could Maybe they could make me do if we're stuck in hell. And it talks a little bit to what you were just saying. Could you imagine hmm. being cast for eternity, having to edit transcripts of the Code Street podcast?
1: <laughs> one of the one of the cleverest things I've seen, and this is probably, this may be a story I haven't even mentioned before, but at some, it must have been a world horror convention, but it might have been a world f- fantasy convention. I was there my, with my friend Peter Straub, and the the guest of honor, I guess, was Gay and Wilson. And one of the things that Gay and Wilson used to do, um, at conventions was to draw a cartoon on stage with ideas taken from the audience. He would ask somebody for a setting, somebody for a character, somebody for a situation. And it was like an like things they do in improv comedy. And he, di- he did this and somebody, first Peter was in the audience, so somebody shouted Peter Straub and then somebody else shouted hell and that was it. So the next thing, uh, within five minutes, uh, literally, we watched Gay and Wilson draw a cartoon of of, of a good caricature of Peter sitting at a table signing an enormous <laughs> stack of books. And peering behind him around the bookcase was a younger devil and the older devil. And the older devil was saying, yeah, that was a really good idea. <laughs> On that rather
0: cheery <laughs> note, we might might wind it up and move on to next time.
1: <laughs> we might. Well, and, and next time, who knows? Maybe we'll have the Wall Street Journal list of 100 best fantasy books or the House and Garden list of 100 best fantasy books or uh, let's just but, have every publication out there start listing fantasy books. Well, until then, it's been until, fun. Until then, this has been the Coon Street Podcast.